It's a weird bounce off the officials. It's an onside play. A shot, and he scores! Tough break for Notre Dame. The puck goes off the ref, and it is a wrist shot through the five hole. There's a wrist shot, save made, rebound in front of Deke, and he scores! John Leonard! Two nothing Minutemen. Makara Bami scores! Kale Makar, three nothing Minutemen. Crowd on their feet. Moving it into the attacking zone is Notre Dame, but it's too little, too late. 2007 was a heartbreaker. 2019 is much different. The Minutemen are going to the Frozen Four for the first time in program history as they knock off Notre Dame 4-0 in Manchester. Welcome to the UMass Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA. Good Thursday morning and welcome to another edition of UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA Sports. Colin Casey welcoming back Nathan Strauss. It's been a, been a couple of weeks, I think, since you've been on the show. It's good to, be, good to have you back, Nathan. Always good to be here. And uh, it's an exciting week for college hockey fans, considering that we have our first preseason poll, or the only preseason poll, but uh, the USCHO Division I men's poll was released on Monday afternoon at noon and the Minutemen check in at number seven on the season they finished up last year at number nine going into what would have been the playoffs before it was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic so the Minutemen end up jumping a couple of spots to number seven in the preseason rankings personally Nathan I think that's a pretty fair spot to put UMass in what do you think yeah I mean I think it, I think in general this poll is pretty much consistent with how I would have uh, ranked UMass and UMass's peers. I think going off of the talent that UMass lost, but also the general consistency around the program, seventh is just where UMass should be. And frankly, UMass started off last season where fourth or third in that first in that first poll. Similarly, pretty high up. Yeah, I think it was um, four. I think it was yeah. four, but don't quote me on that. No, I think I think it was fourth as well. And so, I mean, it's definitely a positive to see UMass being up there uh, at the very beginning of the season. Of course, I mean, looking at who's in front of them, it's pretty good company uh, with teams like BC and North Dakota as well. So, obviously, nothing is set in stone from just one ranking, but it's a pretty good indicator of where UMass is. And you mentioned North Dakota, who is at number one with 28 of the – 50 I believe first place or well maybe not 50 I'm not sure exactly how many they had in this poll 32 35 I think it was 40 so out of the 40 28 first place votes for North Dakota which means that there are people out there that have you know strong deservings of other ones even Cornell who was ranked number six got four first place votes uh part of it of course being they were number one in the last poll before everything was shut down so I think they kind of based off them. But Cornell did have a couple of key losses, so I'm not surprised to see them slip down to that sixth spot, especially being an ECAC team as well. You mentioned Boston College, the regular season hockey's champs from a year ago with four first-place votes at number two. Uh, they've jumped up a couple of spots. Nathan, we, we talk, we, we'll talk a little bit more about UMass, but since we're at number two now, Boston College – do you think they actually ended up getting better with some of the guys they added plus some of the guys they ended up retaining going into this year? I mean, absolutely. I think they have three or four guys on their team who could easily have had a case for, for jumping ship and, and signing their ELCs this offseason. And despite the fact that they lost a pretty talented trio of seniors last year, um, you, you get the benefit of, first of all, the best coaching staff in Hockey East, um, or at least certainly the most legendary with Jerry York at the helm. You also have another season of Logan Hutsko. You also have, you know, I think they're returning like three of the five top scorers in, uh, or at least three of the five top freshman scorers, I think, in the country. So again, their team is just uh, ridiculous. We're going to get to see, you know, another year of Spencer Knight uh, in net, um, who was one of the best goalies in the country last year and only is trending upward. Uh, and so it's, it's, it feels harsh to say addition by subtraction, but with another promising freshman class coming in, I think that BC actually would have gone on to win the, I think they would have gone on to win the national championship last year. 
it, it, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's very possible that they would have uh, with how strongly – I think they won like nine of their last ten going into the playoffs as well, so they were on a roll. Yeah, I mean, kind of – I mean, really after they lost to UMass, um, they pretty much went on a tear after that. Yeah, uh, yep. And they, they finished the season on a ridiculous high. I, I, I feel like – I said this on one of our earlier episodes, but I feel like we were robbed of a, of a potentially, you know, an all-time – uh, hockey East tournament game between last year's UMass and this year's BC or last year's BC rather, but man, uh, I, I think their team is 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 very very talented, and uh, they're going to have probably the, be- the the most depth in hockey East when it comes to scoring from their top three lines. And and the crazy thing that they did last year is they won two games on the road against UMass, something that nobody's done in years. Uh, we've seen some teams, you know, able to steal one. Uh, on the road, Quinnipiac was able to do it last year as well. A um, couple other teams have have done it too. Um, I remember Merrimack forced that tie at at the Mullen Center. So, and that's a Merrimack team that's probably going to get a lot better this year. I, I, it'll, it'll be it'll be tough for them to break in in a really deep conference to you know be like a top six team. But it's a, this year's a really deep hockey East uh, conference, and you talked about Boston College. They definitely. They lost David Cotton, which is a huge loss, and the Montalo brothers. But keeping Alex Newhook, I think, was the biggest thing because he's probably going to be a top three candidate for that Hobie Baker Award come next spring. Um, but let's go back to UMass at number seven. They lose their top two scores, unlike BC. They actually lost their scoring. Mitchell Chafee and John Leonard, both guys who were nominated for the Hobie Baker Award. Leonard, who quite nearly ended up making that top three at the end of the push he had leading the nation in goals scored. Both those guys signing their entry-level contracts, Chafee with the Wild and Leonard with the Sharks. They do lose those top two scores, but I think the most important thing, Nathan, is they keep basically everyone in the back end with the exception of Jake McLaughlin, which is a big loss, but they get a healthy Mark Delgaizo, a Zach Jones going into his sophomore year who looked phenomenal in his freshman year, putting up 20 assists as a defenseman. Very impressive stuff from him. Matt Kessel, who found the back of the net seven times as a defenseman. You don't see that too often out of a freshman. The last guy to do something like that was Mark Delgaizo the year before. So you have him. You have Ty Farmer and Colin Felix, really physical right-handed shots that have definitely proven themselves to be valuable guys last year and then even you've got some Swiss Army knives in Gianfranco Casero and Colby Vergara guys who can even jump up and play wing when half your team goes down with injuries like they did last year but they look so good at the defensive end plus they have their goaltenders back I think that's a big reason why voters were recognizing hey there's a well-coached team with a lot of great options on defense even if they don't have the scoring that a team like BC has, they still can contend for a national championship. Yeah, I mean, Zach Jones would make my preseason All-Hockey East first mm-hmm. team um, with, alongside David Ferentz. Yep. Uh, although that might not be the most practical pairing. Uh, I think in terms of, of raw talent, Zach Jones is going to be, you know, one of the top three scoring defensemen in the league this year. I think getting him more involved on the power play, I think – we sort of talked at length last year about some of the power play woes. My hope is that this year uh, we don't have to talk about that at all. And with a sophomore Zach Jones sort of quarterbacking the power play, I think there's a good chance he, he betters his numbers from last year. Um, But you made a great point as well about keeping both of the goalies. Um, It's pretty rare that you have two goalies. So I think would pretty much start for, you know, 55 of the 60 teams at the division one level. Um, and I would anticipate, you know, that we see the two, the two guys in Murray and Lindbergh going, you know, splitting series. I think for the most part, we didn't really see any indication that coach Carvel would do otherwise last year, except for in the case of, you know, maybe a, a real rough start, like the UMass Lowell, yeah, yep. uh, like the UMass Lowell game. Um, but I think UMass fans are, are pretty privileged in that this year, uh, we're going to get to see Murray and Lindbergh again. I think, you know, the risk with Jones is if he puts up another year, um, you know, where he, he betters his numbers from last year, that he might end up becoming a flight risk. Although if it's any consolation, the team that holds his, his rights and the New York Rangers are pretty crowded when it comes yeah. to young, uh, young defensemen. So uh, they might see the benefit in letting him play out his college career. But 
certainly very encouraging signs that that UMass is going to be pretty solid on the back end. I'm also pretty excited about some of the guys who UMass is who UMass added, especially the transfers in Garrett Waite and Carson uh, Gisovitz. Geisovitz, Geisovitz, Geisovitz. I started my research. I believe it's Geisovitz. Thank you. I I haven't haven't gone around to the Saint the Saint Lawrence uh, the Saint Lawrence pregame guides, yeah. but. Um, obviously he's a guy who Carvel knows Garrett Waite, you know, is, is another power forward coming from a big 10 program. So these are guys who should really help the middle six. And I think that's an area that we saw get exposed a little bit with injuries last year. Like realistically, as much as I loved seeing guys like Vergara hopping onto the wing, like a, a UMass, UMass shouldn't be playing, you know, natural defensemen on the wings. Right. So my hope is that we see, you know, a healthier and more competitive bottom six this year. That's yeah. Health is certainly the most important thing. The loss for Cal Kafuk, who was in a little bit of a scoring rut through the middle of the season after getting to a half start, was I think overlooked at the time because he brought so much speed and great presence also in defensive end for a guy his size. So that was a big loss. Philip Laganov, the same thing. He had trouble scoring, but man, was he good in the in the back end, just like Jack Suter was, who is also a big loss that's leaving. People talk about. Uh, the, the big scores in Leonard and Chafee. Jack Suter was a, a, to, a top-line center at one point last year, a guy that really just rose through the depth chart and became the best center on the team at times. So that's uh, that's a big loss as well. You lose your captain, Hildenbrand, but the guy who's going to step up in his place. And I think a guy who's, whose season, uh, whose individual play is going to be an X factor for this UMass team is Jake Gaudet. We didn't see much of him last year for health reasons, but he also found himself out of the lineup at one point, just because that's how the, the crowded, uh, the crowded winger position was at that point in time, him being a captain, he's going to get an opportunity to get back in that lineup and be a leader for some of these young guys. We've seen what he's capable of, especially when he played with Oliver Chow and Mitchell Chafee. I'm interested in seeing what the lines look like and where Gaudet fits on that line sheet. Yeah, I mean, I think if it's any consolation for Goddard, I think he can look to how Jack Suter evolved in his senior year last year. Um, and I think clearly he's a guy who Carvel has a lot of trust in. Um, and at the end of the day, I think maybe even more importantly than how Goddard plays is how Oliver Chow plays. And I think that he was a really integral part of that top line last year, even if his scoring numbers weren't you know overly impressive probably because he had Mitchell Chafee on the same line for most of the season um, but if he can you know maybe chip in with a few more goals and, and the same number of apples like that's going to be a that's going to be a pretty solid top line um, and you know Bobby Trevino you know what you're going to get out of him right like I think he is pretty consistent one of the guys who I think might make a leap up to you know potentially playing on on you know maybe the top line or maybe the second line this year is Reed Lebster yeah, uh, yep. who really sort of sprung into form uh, at the end of last season. Um, he He's a, a crowd favorite for sure. Uh, and he, he really showed up in the big games of last season. Uh, like he scored against UMass Lowell. He played really well in the uh, away game at BC. And he scored versus Northeastern as well. So, I mean, in in Lebster and and uh, and Cal Kifuk, I think you have two guys who could really be poised to to have a breakout season this year. Another guy that is similar in Gaudet, and he looked good for stretches last year, and I think he also ended up suffering an injury at some point. Is Anthony Delgaizo? Um, he he's 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 found himself in all sorts of roles with this team, whether it be at center on you know the second line or a winger on a third or fourth line. It seems like his role is always changing depending on how he's playing. If they can get, you know, the goal scoring from him, maybe get close to double digits this year in, in goal scoring, if he can, you know, A stay healthy and B find some chemistry with whoever he ends up playing with. He played a lot with uh Hildenbrand last year, so it'll be interesting to see who he ends up fitting in with. But Anthony Delgaiso is another guy that you're looking to see if he can maybe give you that that scoring that uh, that you lose in in Mitchell Chafee and, and John Leonard. I think he's a guy that some people forget about how talented he was in the USHL and how some at, at times that talent is certainly translated over to the college hockey circuit. They're just looking to get that consistency out of him. Yeah, I mean he put up a hundred points in his in his USHL career with uh, with 
with uh, with the Lumberjacks. So, I mean, I think I remember, if I remember correctly, he got injured last year in the AIC game where he took an elbow that, that led to a, I think that led to a match penalty maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also was dealing with maybe an ankle injury as well. So the Algaza brothers did not have the best of luck last no, year. They didn't. Um, no. when, it, when it came to injuries. But yeah, I mean, having guys who can slot in at, at, at center, slot in on the wing is very important. Um, if, you know, again, there's a lot of ifs, right? Because right now we're, we ha- we're not going to get to see any exhibition games as far as we know. Um, we're not necessarily even going to get to have like an in-depth look at, at how they're practicing just due to, due to COVID restrictions and whatnot. So if it sounds like a lot of speculation, I think it's because speculating is a lot of what we can do. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then UMass added also, UMass also added uh, Jerry Harding, who we saw once last year for Providence. Um, he didn't get too many games. Providence was a team that was incredibly deep when it came to their wings last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's someone who is a bit of an X factor, I think. Uh, but clearly, he's someone who Coach Carville and the and the rest of the staff rates pretty highly. He's a local kid too, or you know, relatively local to Massachusetts, being from Canton. So uh, he played at my uh, my arch rival high school at, uh, at Nobles, um, where he had sixty nine points. So. So, I mean, there, it's going to be fun. I think this year, just because of COVID and because of the sort of late nature of the season and how everything is going to be a little bit more spontaneous, I think we're going to end up being surprised. I just hope that we end up being pleasantly surprised most of the time. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And uh, the most important thing is that we can get UMass hockey back and get our guys back in the broadcast booth, get those guys back out on the ice and hopefully eventually some fans back in the stands. But I think the fans at this point are just hoping to see their favorite team back on the ice. Uh, You're listening right now to the UMass hockey hour, which is presented by hot table Panini located on route nine in Hadley, just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot table specializes in a variety of grilled Panini sandwiches and offers a selection of soups and salads. For more than a decade, Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, stores, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about UMass, but also some of the other teams in Hockey East and where they have shaken out in the preseason rankings you're listening to the UMass Hockey Hour on WMUA. Hot Table Panini located on Route 9 in Hadley is just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot Table specializes in a variety of grilled panini sandwiches and also offers a selection of soups and salads. For over a decade Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using the Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. All right. So, yeah, I'll load in both those ad reads. I forgot to do I – sh- I meant to open with the Hot Table one and completely forgot about it. So, I'm just going to do the other one on the other side of this now. Sounds good. Um, so, yeah, we'll just do that. It's going to be a little weird having, like, ad overload when you got – two PSA sandwiched in between two live reads, but as long as we get them out there, I can't remember if we had two per show for no, I don't, I don't remember, but all right. <clears throat> all right. Uh, live read, here we go. Three, two, one. And welcome back to the UMass Hockey Hour this edition of all right, hold on that, 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 I was that was gonna be terrible I knew it all right <laughs> all right three two one and welcome back to the UMass hockey hour this edition of hockey hour is presented by delivery express delivery express has been serving five college community area fuck all right I botched it and then say five college area community all right three two one and welcome back to the UMass Hockey Hour. Colin Casey alongside Nathan Strauss live on WMUA Sports. This program is presented by Delivery Express. Delivery Express has been serving the five college area community since 1990. Customers can order from 85 plus restaurants located throughout the Pioneer Valley. 
through their offices in Amherst, Northampton, as well as Springfield. More information can be found at deliveryexpress.com or by calling 413-549-0077. So, Nathan, we talked about BC and UMass, two hockey teams that cracked the top 10 in the USCHO Division I men's poll for the preseason rankings that came out on Monday afternoon. There's one team that just missed getting in that top 10 and a team that seems like a lot of people sometimes forget about and they really sneak up on you, and that's the UMass Lowell River Hawks, a well-coached team, Norm Bazin, in it, going into his 10th year as head coach. Every year it seems like he's able to get this UMass Lowell team, no matter what the roster looks like, into a spot where they're either in the top 20 or just outside the top 20. Having that consistency has been so big. They're going to lose a, a great goaltender in Tyler Wall this year, but they return basically all of their skaters, and they have a lot of young players, including Matt Brown and Carl Berglund, who are going to play some big roles for UMass Lowell this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, they're a hard team to, to rank, I think, in general, because they generally play as better than the sum of their parts, right? They're not a team that has the... Uh, maybe the same pedigree as they had 15 years ago when it comes to maybe producing consistent NHL talent, but they did retain a lot of their skaters and assuming that they can find someone to fill the uh, giant skates of Tyler Wall, I think this team is going to be challenging for a top four finish uh, in Hockey East. I I think they do have some issues though when it comes to not necessarily maybe having the same blue chip prospects as a team like bc or even a team like you know bu or northeastern and as as we tend to see um it generally takes having one of those transcendent players you know a a zegris or a john leonard to get to that next level um and so while i have a lot of respect for for norm and for their program i also, am a little bit more skeptical of them than I would be of uh, some of the, some of their Boston counterparts. Right, right, and that's just kind of how it ends up being because the talent pool that BC, BU, Northeastern are known to to have with the access and scouting. You know, of course, who wouldn't want to go play for Jerry York and a lot of a lot of guys, that, especially the guys who grew up in Eastern Mass. You know, grew up wanting to play in the Bean Pot, so all those schools are just such a, such an appeal. And that's something that both UMass schools are, are battling. But when you play well and you put yourself in position to make big runs, this of course, that championship run from now two years ago, which is crazy. It seems like we're coming up on two years since the start of that 2018, 2019 season where UMass ended up making the national championship. But you had another team in, uh, in UMass Lowell that won a hockey East title back in 2013, I believe. So, these are two programs that are solid, but being in the Bay State, you know, you get overshadowed by these Beanpot schools. But there's still the talent there. They've got a couple of guys that got drafted. Uh, Andre Lee is one from uh, for UMass Lowell. Talented guy, a sophomore, is looking to have a, a step forward. My biggest uh, interest out of any of these guys is going to be goaltender and Logan Neaton because Neaton was drafted in the seventh round, I believe in 2019 by Winnipeg and Neaton has has looked strong. He didn't get much opportunity though, because you have Tyler wall playing in front of him. So we'll see what kind of chance he gets and how, how well he is. Could it be, this is a little bit different because Mike Robinson is still on the team, but Ty Taylor didn't get a whole lot of opportunities as the goaltender in uh, up in UNH. He gets an opportunity last year and kind of is able to prove himself. So this might be an opportunity for Neaton to quickly become a lead goaltender and 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 be the next the next great goaltender to come out of UMass Lowell. I mean, you got yeah. I, <laughs> I was gonna say, I, seeing him be, getting drafted by Winnipeg, you kind of feel like I, I love seeing this, and it happens more in hockey than I think in any other sport where you see teams sort of finding little tropes like, oh, UMass Lowell consistently produce good goalies. And obviously Winnipeg are currently reaping the rewards of a UMass Lowell, uh, you know, alumnus or I guess a a former UMass Lowell player right now in a, 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 you know, a Vesna trophy consistently, someone who's consistently there or thereabouts in Connor Hellebuck. So Neaton, I think, is going to probably open up the years. They're number one. Um, And fortunately, I think the way Lowell play, 
I think he has a, a very solid uh, group of guys in front of him. So obviously it's going to be hard for him to, to replace Tyler Wall immediately. But if I remember correctly, Tyler Wall became a starter uh, as a sophomore as well. Um, mm. So Neaton going into his sophomore year has a chance certainly to, to carve out a, a three-year path for him. And and, I, could be, I could be wrong on that, but I'm gonna, I might double-check. Yeah, and back to your point on uh, the, the Jets drafting, of course, Hellebuke and then now uh, uh, Neaton. Something about those central uh, Canadian provinces that really like those guys, because Dwayne Rollison was drafted by Calgary way back in uh, 1994. Or he wasn't drafted, actually. He was undrafted. was signed by Calgary back in 1994. Ended up being kind of a journeyman throughout the NHL, but he ended up wrapping up his career being a – uh, a game seven starting goaltender for the Tampa Bay lightning back in 2011 against the Bruins. So, and he was phenomenal by the way, in that game seven, he just simply got out by Tim Thomas in a one, nothing game. So Rolson, another guy that UMass Lowell has seen, and they've just, they, they got a ton of talent for sure, uh, especially at that goaltender position over the years. So we'll see how they play out being the 11th ranked team in the nation. There were two others that were ranked and this one was a little interesting in my mind, Providence, who ended last year unranked, loses Jack Dugan, but they end up making it at, at 17. Hey, we know they're well coached. Nate Lehman's one of the best in the business for sure. Uh, you know, we saw what he did at Union before he ended up jumping to Providence. I think he's in his 10th year now at Providence. So he's been, he's been around for a long time and is a heck of a coach. Ended up winning a national championship with Providence and, and going to a Frozen Four also just two years ago. So my question is, does the loss of Dugan really hurt this Providence team? Or do you think they have pieces like Tice Thompson, Greg Prince, and these guys around, uh, uh, around Lehman to, to still be a top team in hockey East? I mean, I, I gave my opinion on, on Dugan last year and I was not very impressed with him. I think obviously he had, I think he had a fair bit of, of off ice issues uh, that we sort of saw come to a boil in their game uh, at the Mullen Center. But we basically saw UMass tear them to shreds uh, over two games last yep. year. And while I think we saw that they were cap- that, that Providence were capable of putting up some, some pretty ridiculous scoring numbers, I never felt like they had the strength on the back end to be a contender in Hockey East. I also didn't think they had the mental strength to be a top team in the Hockey East. And... Uh, uh, we, when we heard Nate Lehman speak in the, it was you, the two of us, when we heard him speak after that game, I think he was trying to get his guys to respond. You know, I think he was being, he was trying to, to rally them a bit and we didn't really see that at all. Oh, um, lost, to, lost to Vermont immediately after that. Right. So, so again, I mean, this is a team with a number of, I think they have what the second or third most draft picks of, of any hockey East team. I think they have eight te- seven or eight picks yeah, on this, on this they, side. They got, they got a number, including the ones they already have, but they end up getting a few more uh, this year. The good news too is outside of Dugan, who again led the nation in, in scoring, but back to your point on Dugan, I think the big, the big problem with Dugan was he just didn't really show up during those big games against UMass and, and those other ones. I mean, yeah, he sure 52 points, very impressive. He was a great distributor of the puck. And Tice Thompson certainly reaped the benefits of playing on the same line with him. But uh, as far as the big games, he was a, he was a no-show against UMass. They, I guess they had a game plan to stop him, and it was effective. So he didn't really show up there. I guess the committee, too, for Hobie Baker decided, hey, your team's still towards the bottom of Hockey East uh, in the bottom half, despite what you're doing. So we don't think you're as valuable enough to be uh, a strong consideration for the Hobie Baker Award. Sure enough, he was left out of the top three, and his team ends up. I think they, they just barely made it, right? At seven, I think there was. Yeah, seven I think I, they, Wait, were, they were. They were eight, right? Because they were supposed to play BC. Right, and yeah. I think that I think you know they, they really really struggled at the end of last season, and they were in danger of getting overtaken by uh, maybe UNH. In, yep. Yeah, yeah, it was last, UNH last, was nine. Yeah. Yeah, the last the last two games of the season, but yeah, I mean, when we saw Providence last year, I was very impressed with with, uh, with Pat Moynihan, um, and I was very impressed with uh, Parker Ford. But again, when you when your best guy, you, the guy who they were relying on for for most of their 
uh, for a lot of their playmaking wasn't showing up. They did not look up to it at all. And I think, you know, I think the, the, the minute for the Minutemen, their most complete 60 minutes of hockey has to be that game at Schneider Arena last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm struggling to think of any others. Uh, it reminded me of one of those games you'd see throughout the 2018-2019 season where they would just dominate opponents. They did both twice in the NCAA tournament against Harvard and then again against Notre Dame. And it reminded me of those games where they were just in, in control from start to finish. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Providence, we haven't even touched upon the fact that they lost Michael Lackey, too, as a goaltender. So they're going to have to move on to <laughs> a uh, a new – uh, a, a new era in terms of goaltending. I think the guy they're going to start, though, is a, a pretty talented guy in Jackson Stauber, who was a transfer from Minnesota State, still a sophomore, and he walks into a, an opportunity to be that starting goaltender after playing in a pretty, you know, playing for a really solid program before then. So that's going to be another whole, another storyline that that, that that a lot of people are going to have to follow. Uh, is how that goaltending stretch will work out. I think they actually have four guys goaltenders on their roster too. Yeah, so. I mean, one, of the, one of the rare one of the rare teams that rosters four goalies these yeah. days. It yeah. seems like they're they're consistently yeah uh, there or thereabouts when it comes to recruiting grad transfer goalies from yeah. other hockey East programs. But I mean, for Jackson Stauber, if there if there's a team in the country with a more established number one than uh, than Dryden McKay. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean Spencer Knight, I guess. I, I guess Spencer Knight, but that's, I think that that's more to do yeah. with the relative lack of depth that BC had than Spencer yeah. Knight's individual talents. I mean, you're and, talking and, about a guy who was who was a Hobie Baker candidate as a goalie. So oh, oh Swayman before, but yeah, not anymore because he's gone. Is is another one that I can think of, and then Lekas. So there's a lot of guys in the hockey East that you can think of. Although I will say, I think Jack Moffat's not too bad of a backup goaltender. It's just that they haven't needed him because of how and well he was. Also, he was also injured last year because they ended up having to they ended up having to promote one of their club goalies yep. to the roster. Yeah. Um, so they, but I mean, because I remember Spencer Knight was away with Zach Jones at uh, at juniors at mm-hmm. World Juniors, and they were they were a little thin, but. Yeah, I mean, definitely, they, have, they certainly Providence certainly have the depth, you know, to lead, to to figure out uh, which one of these guys they want to have in the net going forward. Yeah, stre- strength and numbers for Providence, and they'll uh, they'll hopefully be able to figure out who their guy's going to be. But again, I think Stauber's probably the favorite to win that job. Uh, we'll move on to the last team that ended up getting ranked, and that's number nineteen, Northeastern. The Huskies, Jim Madigan looking to bounce back. They ended up finishing as a seventh seed last year. And to be fair to, to Northeastern, we thought UMass was banged up going into that uh, that playoff series against Northeastern. I don't think Northeastern had anybody left on their team when we got to that point. I mean, they had so many injuries. They they were only up, they were only dressing ten forwards. Yeah, they they yeah. were they were they were dressing like nineteen guys a night. Yeah, it's this type of type or, of like lines that you'd see in in overtime in a game seven like just that short of a pinch, but it wasn't by choice. And that's something that really hurt them down the stretch. I'm sure if that series was going to be played, even though UMass was banged up, I, I liked UMass winning that at home in either two or three games. Um, but now they come back, they've got some, they got some guys coming in Two big names include Sam, Colan- uh, Sam Colangelo and Gunnar Fontaine, two guys that were drafted. Uh, Colangelo being the, the, the big name of the two I think this that's exactly a guy like Colangelo is exactly what the doctor ordered for, for Northeastern. They had some good scores last year come in in terms of young guys, not spectacular ones, Aiden McDonald and uh, Riley Hughes are two that come to mind for me, but they need that star that that's going to replace Tyler Madden, who just ended up making the jump to Vancouver. They, they now have it in Sam Colangelo and I'm excited to see what he can do being put in an elevated role almost instantaneously. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I feel like if you could combine BU and Northeastern, you would have just put you would have ended up with like this this hockey east juggernaut. Yep. Um, but right, I mean Colangelo, another one of the local guys who chooses to play at Northeastern. Um, another prep guy. He he was a he was a Lawrence Academy guy. I got, um, so the ISL, uh, the Independent Scholastic League, continues to churn out these elite players. You know, I think all the way back to Miles Wood, he was a guy who went to Nobles, who uh, put up great numbers for BC. But 
I, again, very excited for this Northeastern team. I think they were a team that gave UMass some real problems early on in the season with their physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, I think, a similar roster composition to UMass in that they consistently have guys who are in their fourth or fifth seasons and bring that level of experience. I think their captain for this coming year is uh, Grant Yosefek, who played really well last year before he ended up getting injured. Um, so they also have, you know, UMass transfer Marco Bozzo. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he fits in um, or if he's, he's able to play this year, which I think he will be. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're a talented team. They've got, you know, a really talented decor. They've got Mike Kesselring. Obviously they had um, uh, Jaden Struble and Jeremy Bouchelet last yep. year. who were Jordan Harris. And Jordan Harris, obviously. So again, Jordan Harris, another prep guy uh, mm-hmm. as well. So they're a team that, you know, consistently winds up with the best of the best uh, from Massachusetts and the surrounding areas. I believe Riley Hughes' little brother is actually a Northeastern commit as well. And he's, uh, I think he's also playing for Victoria right now uh, in the BCHL. So it should be, uh, he might be a, he might be a BC uh, commit instead, but I think you're right, actually. I think he might be a BC commit. Yeah, I I might've gotten that one wrong, but uh, my dad is actually their doctor. Uh, nice. fun fact. But um, yeah, this is going to be a fun team to watch. And, you know, as much as I am saddened in quotation marks that we're not going to get to visit Matthews this year, um, I have a particular dislike of, of that arena. Uh, it should be some really fun matchups when we do get to see them on the ice. Right, right. Uh, and one, quick, one more quick thing before I move on uh, about Northeastern, because you pretty much summed it up there, is they're another team going through a goaltender change. Craig Pantano uh, ends up the Merrimack graduate transfer. Had a solid season for Northeastern, all things considered, being a grad transfer before ultimately graduating now. So in steps Devin Levi, who is a former UVM commit under Kevin Snedden. Snedden ends up retiring. They, they hired Todd Woodcroft up at, at UVM. So he changes his commit, ends up going to a Hockey East rival in Northeastern. And once again, he's in a situation where he's probably going to be able to start right away. Being another seventh-round pick that has an opportunity to start, much like uh, Logan Neaton, who, albeit, is a sophomore, do you think there's going to be a little bit of pressure put on being a freshman goaltender starting, but not necessarily a freshman that, was a top draft pick like Spencer Knight. I yeah, I mean, oh man, it's it's tough to it's tough to to say. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see. It, they have a couple of guys who are just untested, and fortunately, when you have you know four or five NHL quality D men in front of you, I think it makes your job a little easier. But I mean, the I. I think you can get away with having a league average goalie if you have the kind of talent that uh, that Northeastern have. So if it's any, I mean, all it takes is one guy getting hot, like we saw in the UMass BU game last year, and you end up, yep. you know, overperforming. So definitely, maybe a, an area of potential weakness, but also I, I think that they'll end up being just fine. Yeah, I, it looks like it's going to be Levi to start, but if not, maybe they go with the guy with a little more experience, sophomore Connor Murphy, who ended up playing briefly or passingly last year with Pantano. I remember he came in when they were getting the doors blown off against BC and that blowout loss that they suffered. Uh, so we'll see if Murphy ends up getting the nod over Levi. It'll be interesting to see who that starting goaltender is. And now we move on to the guys who got vo- the teams who got votes but did not make it BU just narrowly missing out they t- they were tied at the bowling green with 89 votes and just ended up outside the top 20 i do like that spot for BU because i think they could be a team that will surprise a lot of people based on how much they underperformed last year they add more talent this year they did end up losing zegris though trevor zegris who was drafted in the top 10 the year before signed his contract probably wanted to get the hell out of there after the struggles that BU had. They ended up finishing sixth in the standings, if I remember correctly. So they underperformed last year. They come in with some reinforcements. So Nathan, and we start with goaltender again, because Drew Camisso could seriously be the guy that this team needs after how much BU struggled at the goaltender spot last year. Yeah. I think Drew Camisso is going to be great for them. I think having an established, you know, number one is going to be, is going to be really beneficial for them. They've also got guys like Luke Tuck and uh, 
I think retaining David Ference for, for his oh, senior yeah. season is, is massive. I mean, he's a guy who very easily could have left following how disappointing they were last year. Um, but again, we, we've talked, we talked about it the last time I was on about the sort of institutional problems that they have. I don't necessarily see this team making a serious run just because I feel like they're just going to eventually fall apart for whatever reason. And maybe that's just because last year is fresh in my mind, but um, getting a full season of, uh, of Wilmer Skoog is going to be fun. Mm. They also have a freshman D-man, Cade Weber, who's listed at 6'7", which has to make him one of the biggest guys in hockey. East. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think he's the biggest now until, uh, until uh, Colin Purcell makes his way on here. I think Purcell's listed six, seven, a UMass commit. Yeah. I think he's um, like six, seven, one sixty right now though. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really curious to see how, how I, I think more than any other team, there's, there's more uncertainty around BU than any other team. Not only is it not only is there more uncertainty, Nathan. There's more pressure than ever for BU to perform, especially if you're Albie O'Connell. You know this could be a a big year for you if you if you don't come up if you don't step up and you end up being even just a seven or eight seed in the hockey East tournament and end up being a first round exit to UMass or BC. Then that could be it for O'Connell after just a couple of seasons. It, I'm sure the. Uh, the athletic department's looking for more from this team with the resources they have. And, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of excuses for a bad year for O'Connell. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, we were talking before we started recording today about how BC, when it comes to next year's incoming class, they don't have as many highly uh, rated recruits, but I think, you know, if, if you're Jerry York, you have the ability to sway people. I think you have the ability to flip people, especially if, if a team like Northeastern or a team like BU underperform because you get to have the same benefits of being in the Boston area and playing at a really storied franchise, but so much more consistency and a much more talented roster around you. So this is somewhat of a make or break year for them. Uh, and I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how they, how they fare against, uh, against some of the teams that they, that gave them trouble last year. Yep. Just a reminder, 11 guys on this roster that were drafted as O'Connell goes into his third year with a sub-500 record and uh, a, a record just barely over 500 in conference play. So it's not that he's been struggling – the team's been struggling with non-conference opponents. That success hasn't really been there for conference opponents as well. Uh, it's it's going to be an important year for O'Connell if he wants to get control and, and, and try to keep his – essentially keep his job. I don't mean to, you know, be that blunt, but – this is a storied franchise, not franchise, storied program that is used to winning, contending for national championships year in and year out. We haven't seen that at all over the last three year, or two years now. So that's that's the big the big issue for for BU. Can they finally get back to their winning ways? Uh, looking to the other team that received a number of votes, seventy six, in fact, the Maine Black Bears. I think this is just a reflection of what happened last year because they certainly lost a whole lot of talent. The two, the three big names that I can think of at forward, you got Tim Doherty and Mitch Fossier. Those are the two big forwards you lose. But on top of that, you, you lose the guy that pretty much kept you in 75% of the games that you won this year. And that's Jeremy Swayman. I mean, you can't replace a guy like that. He was so good last year. His worst games came against UMass and, if you saw him play against UMass, you'd think, oh, wow, this guy's not that great. Outside of that, he was almost perfect in that. Yeah, I was very puzzled when I saw Maine getting 76 votes because I would have actually rather seen Merrimack, a team that didn't receive votes, get That's, 76 I, I said the same I, thing to my I, friend the I, other day. Yeah, I was like, I was really baffled. First of all, I think I think UConn is is actually the, be- the next best team in the conference um, behind BU, followed by Merrimack. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think Maine are going to be the second worst team in Hockey East this year, actually. Um, and I think part of that is because they tend to have a huge home ice advantage um, playing at Alphond, uh, a lot of which comes from their fans and some of which comes from the travel. I think they're going to lose some of that edge this year. Uh, we've seen in other sports that home field or home court advantage has pretty much dissipated because of the lack of fans. Uh, and also, you look at the fact that they lost – you know, their three best players from last year. And that, I mean, they still have, I'm blanking on his name, but he's the, the Swedish guy. Uh, uh, Edwards Trailmax. Thank you. Or, I, yeah. I, th- I think he's uh, he Latvian. 
I think he's yeah, it might be Latvia. It's uh yeah. One uh, of those but, one of those maroon flags, that's all I know. Yeah, exactly. Latvian or Lithuanian. I mean, I, yeah, this main team is is not going to be good. Um and I was very I think they were probably the the most overrated team in the entire rankings for me. Um and again, I'm not trying to be like overly critical of them. I just think that they were a team that got lucky and won some very close game. Like they beat BC in overtime last swept year. Them. Swept them. Swept them on them. the road. Right. But like, I, that's, you know, that was, they required a little bit of luck. I don't think yeah. that they have it in them this year, especially with how much better the rest of hockey East has gotten. So uh, yeah, I was a little surprised to see Maine with 76 votes and seeing teams like Brown and Bentley getting votes before Merrimack. So I don't know. I'm sure voters also took a lot of weight in the fact that they were so good uh, on the road. I'm sorry, not on the road, at home. Uh, I think they lost one game towards the end of the year against Providence, and that was pretty much it. So they were about as dominant as UMass was on, at home uh, when they made that run to the, to the Frozen Four. So, yeah, I agree. I think it's a little bit too high for, for, for Maine. I would have given some of those votes, some of them probably to Merrimack and maybe a few more also to UConn as well. As That's where we'll go into next, actually, is the Huskies who were as about as hot as you can get in the final month of the season last year, making a push, ended up, I think, in the four seed behind Maine, who was the three going into that uh, that tournament. They would have uh, – the hockey's tournament they would have been playing against at the – who's the five seed? I'm, I'm blanking now. They would, oh, you did, no, you know what? I think they were five, and then UMass Lowell was four. So they would have played UMass Lowell. That's all I know. It was probably an interchangeable. Anyways, they – they stunned UMass in that, that crazy finish, uh, a, 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 a come-from-behind win. They, they've, they've proven that they can compete. They've got the draft picks now. A lot of these guys from overseas, Vladislav Furstov, one guy I can think of, Kondalik's back for another year. They have the drafted talent. Question is, are they going to take that leap forward? Frankly, I think they are. I think this is a team that could potentially sneak into the top five in the conference, maybe even higher than fifth. But uh, I'm curious to see what you think about UConn, Nathan. Yeah, I was I was very impressed with UConn last year. They played UMass particularly well. Um, I'm curious to see what they end up doing when it comes to where they play their games. I guess they're going to be playing uh, in, at sto- in stores and not uh, in Hartford. But they're a team that... Uh, is big and powerful and gave teams a lot of trouble with those elements of their game. And they're also going to get, you know, another year, an evolved Yan Kuznetsov, who was the youngest rostered player in all of the NCAA last year, um, who ended up going in, I believe the early second round of the draft this year. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish about where UConn will be. Um, I think they're going to be one of the better teams in hockey East this year. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more in, I think they were another team that was pretty tough to beat at home. They won't be playing at the XL Center this year, though, so this will be interesting that they'll be playing uh, on campus in stores, uh, a unique experience for a lot of these guys. Mike Kavanaugh, remember, he's from that Jerry York coaching tree as well, so hopefully for them, York's passed along some of his magic to Kavanaugh and they can start building a strong program and turn into a hockey school instead of a basketball school. That that would be something else. Uh Last team that got votes was UNH, just two. Uh, I'm not surprised. They ended up missing out last year. Hey, you know, UNH is another program with a lot of history. I like Mike Souza a lot as a head coach. I think that given the what he's had to work with, he hasn't had any of those huge name players. Charlie Kelleher, great player from Longmeadow, Mass, right next door from where I live. Uh, Mike Robinson and Ty Taylor's a pretty solid combo. I mean, one of the better, you know, duos you can get in goaltending, but I, I think what UNH really is missing is that guy that they can get the puck to whenever they want and know that they can get that big goal. That's the thing I think they're missing most, Nathan. Yeah, I think the word that comes to mind when I think about UNH is just average. Like, I just think that they're full of guys who are good but not great, and I think that sort of sums up what we saw from them last year. Uh, they're a, another team that's on the more physical side of things. They also lost a couple of guys to transfers and to graduating. So I, you know, they're going to be a, t- they're sort of like Maine was last year. They're going to beat some good teams and they're going to lose to some bad teams. So I see them, I see them fighting for one of the, you know, the seven, eight, nine in and around there 
uh, when it comes to the end of the season. Yeah, uh, I I think we know for a fact because we might as well talk about it now because we're getting down to the uh, to the end of both this list and of course the show as we're up against time. But um, the the team I think no one expects to make the playoffs is UVM. Although I do think. Woodcroft is going to get them back in the right direction. I like the hire a lot. I, I mean, personally, I would have loved to see Ben Barr get that job, but Woodcroft is still a great hire. And I think they're going to start the slow ascension back to where they wanted to be, you know, 10 years ago under Snedden in, in his prime. Uh, maybe not competing for a national championship, but, uh, you know, being a, a respectable team in hockey East once again. So I think they're trending in the right direction, but I still think they're a couple of years away. So I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, Merrimack, who isn't ranked, is still definitely unproven. They certainly have some of the drafted talent and guys like UNs and Carlisle who were on the, are on that back end. They just need to get a goaltender now behind them. That was something that they didn't really have last year. They had the defense. They didn't really have goaltending uh, to, to support that. So I think those two are probably still the favorites to miss the playoffs right now based on you know what we saw last year. That third team, though, is going to be the question. UNH was the one last year. But like you said, Nathan, before, I think Maine might be the one that ends up being the odd man out. I, 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 do you disagree with that? No, I mean, I think that, I think that they would definitely be my, my preseason pick for, uh, for finishing ninth. Um, but, you know, every season seems to have one team that really surprises. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, doubt, I don't see this happening, but, you know, it's totally possible that we could see, like, UMass Lowell, you know, lose a, lose a goalie. And then have them slip down or, you know, pretty much there's so much variability outside of BC this year that I think we're going to be in for another really, really tight year, uh, just like we were last year. So uh, I think as teams sort of struggle to find their footing early on, we're going to get to see uh, how things shake out. Um, but the lack of non-con, the lack of non-conference play, I think is going to help the teams with uh, the deeper rosters like BC and hurt the teams with a little bit more variability like your Maine's or New Hampshire's. And, and people forget how exciting the end of the regular season was last year because of there being no postseason in the whole pandemic. There were some really great games down the stretch, some huge storylines. At one point, UMass could have finished as good as second or had fallen as low as seventh in the conference. So that's how tight it was up until the end last year. And I expect it to be the same this year. Plus all the games are going to be conference games. Hopefully we get a nice schedule close to 30 games. I think 28 might be the number we'll see regardless. I'm I'm just so excited to see this list and be reminded that, Hey, college hockey is hopefully around the corner. With that being said, uh, that's going to be it for this edition of the UMass Hockey Hour. Nathan Nathan Strauss, I want to appreciate you. As always, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and it was a it was great to really d- deep dive into these rosters and 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 take a look at what teams are going to be you know there at the end contending for that hockey's championship next year. So again, appreciate you coming on. Pleasure is all mine. Looking forward to uh, seeing some college hockey in the near future. All right, that'll wrap things up once again. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next week, and hopefully we'll have a schedule to talk about. I know I've been saying that for about four weeks now, but hopefully we'll have a schedule to talk about and some games to highlight on the calendar. But till then, my name is Colin Casey. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.